are continuing our series on Abraham and great faith, big faith. And it's, I think it's been challenging because I recognize parts of myself where my faith is shallow or where my faith isn't deep enough to obey what the Father has asked me to do. So it's been a challenge for me and I trust it has for you as well. And Abraham is, um, one of the things I love about the Bible, let's just start with that, is it doesn't sugarcoat people. It, 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 it explains and shows who they are, warts and all. And I appreciate that, I, I do, because it, it is just another reason that I can trust God's word. Now the passage of scripture that we're talking about this morning is very difficult. It's difficult to hear. And if you're visiting, if you are a seeker, if you're wondering about who this Jesus Christ person is, this is, it's just, it's hard. I mean, when you have someone that says, you're, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe that he is kind. I don't believe he's merciful. This is one of the passages that people have come to me and said, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. How can a God who is merciful require this. So we're going to carefully, although quickly, go through these verses and see if we can have some kind of insight and understanding. And I pray that the Lord speaks to you and challenges you, comforts you, whatever you need this morning. Amen. Sometime later, it just picks it right up doesn't say how much later. We do know from past sermons that Ishmael had been born. He's about 13. And there had been some conflict between the brothers and the baby mamas. It's a whole different culture. It was not God's plan to have all these multiple people. <laughs> yes, that's what we'll say since there are young children in here. But it, that's what it was. So... Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. How many of us love pop quizzes? Am I the lone? My hand's not either up either. I'm just, if anybody does, I'll, yeah. It's tough because you don't know if you're gonna, you don't know if you know the material and you never know when it's coming. And that's what happened with Abraham. God just said, you know what? I'm gonna test Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Now, here I am is a phrase that they use, and it's more than just, hello, good morning. Hi, God, did you sleep well last night? This phrase, here I am, actually means I'm at your command. I'm listening, Lord. Command me, tell me what you want me to do. And I appreciate that. What would you think if in the morning your spouse came and said, hello, I am at your command. Tell me what you would like me to do. <laughs> well, actually, this morning at about five in the morning, I woke up and thought, you know what? Hey, now, we're having too much fun out there. I thought, you know what? I kind of want to have an altar this morning. I want to have a... <laughs> so. My, my wonderful husband goes, yes, ma'am, I am at your command. And he's up here nailing, nailing putting nails in this thing because he was afraid it was going to fall on the children and all kinds of things. But I just had it. I thought it was a wonderful idea, not realizing how much work it was going to be. 
I'll thank you later, my darling. Okay, here I am. I am ready for your command. I love that. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. There it is, folks. First of all, do you remember the big rigmarole that happened before this when they were trying to have Isaac? Do you remember the trauma and the drama of a baby mama and all these things that went on just to have Isaac? Do you remember that from Sermons Beyond? And now God is saying, take this man, this young man, and sacrifice him. It makes no sense. Now, when God says, take your son, your only son, that's another thing that doesn't make sense because we know that Abraham had how many sons? He had two sons. So why is God saying, take your only son? Well, if you look up, and I don't ever bother putting Hebrew or Greek words up here because I can't pronounce them. I will just tell you what they mean and we'll, we'll go la, la, la right after that. So we'll get any Greek scholars here, Hebrew scholars. But the phrase, your son, your only son, doesn't mean your solitary son, one son. It means your unique son, one of a kind son. Because just as Pastor David said this morning, a few moments ago, we are all sons and daughters by adoption. So when Jesus was called my beloved son, my one and only son from the father, that sets him apart from me and you because he is unique. He is God. So that's why he's saying here, it's the same phrase because Isaac was unique. And we're gonna see as we go along the parallels between Isaac and Jesus. And that's important. It's, it's very important. And I'll explain why in a moment. Now, Jesus said, I didn't put this verse up there, but Jesus said about himself in Luke all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms of me. So Jesus is saying the Old Testament is screaming my name. And all these things must come to pass before I can come. So the Old Testament, we don't typically think of the Old Testament as being about Jesus, but it is. And there's two primary ways. We're taking just a little bit of a detour for theology for just a moment to help us understand the significance of this chapter. So there's two primary ways that the Old Testament is, is expounding and talking about Jesus. The first way is in prophecies. Hundreds of prophecies were spoken about Jesus. And by the time he came to earth as a baby in a manger, over 350 prophecies were fulfilled. So prophecy after prophecy is talking about Jesus Christ, his salvation for the earth, his, how he's gonna be born, what he's gonna do, how he's gonna be the, the, the king. So that's the first way. The second way is in what I have up here called shadows. And some people call it types. Isaac is a type of Jesus. Is he Jesus? 
Of course not. But he is representing Jesus in this story. And at the end, I'll tell you why that's important. But let's just say for right now, shadows provide an idea of what something looks like without completely revealing the object. That's what the role that Isaac plays in this story. He is pointing to Jesus. If you, as we read the story, I want you to take note of how many references, how many things we read that Isaac goes through, that Jesus went through. It's quite amazing. Now, when you see the shadow of the tree, is the shadow the tree? The answer is no. It's not, if you go and touch a shadow, there's nothing there. There's no substance in a shadow. But Jesus is called the substance and the reality of these shadows of the Old Testament. I'll give you some examples. Two more minutes and we'll be done with our theology class. Everything that happened in the, New Test, in the Old Testament from prophets, the miracles that they, they did and all those things were done to a greater degree by Jesus. Even when we think about in the Old Testament, the laws, remember many of the laws were about sacrifice, giving a sacrifice to God. And those sacrifices pointed to, they were a shadow about what was coming through Jesus Christ, that he would be the reality, the substance of the final sacrifice given for our sins. It, those Old Testament things pointed to Jesus and his sacrifice. Uh, for example, another example, if you think about Moses, you remember Moses and the plagues of Egypt? We all know that, right? Remember the story from our childhood? And there were 10 plagues that affected one country, and that country was Egypt. That, that really happened. That was a thing. But it was also a shadowing of what Jesus would do. And for all of us that only think Jesus is meek and mild and wouldn't ruffle a feather, in Revelation chapter 6, it says that Jesus, yes, that same Jesus, is going to unleash 21 plagues upon the earth in Revelation. How can that be? Jesus is the reality and the substance. Do you remember when the prophet cleansed the leper? I think it was Elijah. In the New Testament, Jesus is the reality, the substance, the greater thing that it's pointing to. How many lepers did Jesus cleanse? Do you remember? Ten. Where are all my scholars? Where are my Bible readers out there? Okay, here we, let's keep going. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. <clears throat> then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering. Set out for the place God had told him about. I, you know, God tells him to do this unspeakable thing. As a parent, we, we can only, we can't even imagine it, really, quite honestly. But yet Abraham gets up early. He is going to be about what God told him to do. That amazes me. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further we will worship there, then we will come right back. 
or you're starting to get a sense, we've said over and over again about how great Abraham's faith was. The Bible goes to great length and great detail to explain. In fact, it says about Abraham, the only person in the Bible, it says Abraham was a friend of God. And I believe that one of the reasons Abraham became that friend of God is because of the great trust that he had in God. He trusted God with everything he had. And that trust translated into obedience. God, I'm going to obey you. I don't understand it. I'm confused. I'm not confused about what I know you asked me to do. And I'm going to do it. We will worship there. Now he knows what God's asked him to do. His response is, let's go and worship God. The third day, I'm thinking about me. I have three days to talk myself out of something that I don't really want to do. I've got three days to let somebody else by the time I've told a friend or two, this is what I think God's wanting me to do. Three days to talk, let them talk me out of it. I think what Abraham was doing on those three days, he was rehearsing the goodness of God. He was telling himself, God is faithful. God has given me a promise and that promise will be fulfilled because God the promise giver is also the promise keeper. I believe he was rehearsing to himself, speaking to himself, encouraging himself, building himself up so that he could be about what God had asked him to do. I think that's what he was doing for those three days. I don't think there was a lot of jolly banter going on between him and Isaac. I think it was a very solemn, quiet three days. Some of you, maybe many of you, you know God has spoken to you in a certain area of your life. You know it. Some of you, you maybe, you've even shared it with some of your closest friends. So they'll pray with you. But after a day or two, do you ever start to resent the fact that God's even asked you to do it? Do you ever get resentful? Let's just say, for example... God said, this relationship with this person does not honor me. Whatever the circumstance may be. And you know in your heart, you need to break that relationship off so that God is first in your life. But after day one, day two, day three, the midnight calls, Start to resent what God has asked of you, what God is requiring of you to go further in him. But we don't see that in Abraham. We don't see resentment or bitterness or anger. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, Yes, my son. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? 
I think that the, Holy, the Old Testament screams that phrase. Where is the sacrifice, God? When are you gonna give the sacrifice that takes my sin away? We see story after story, and they're not stories like fairy tales. They're accounts of things that really happen to real people. And they're all saying, when is that sacrifice that will, that will answer all my questions be given? And what does Abraham say? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. He's still walking in faith. You gotta, what was Isaac thinking? What was he thinking? This is before the Old Testament uh, commandments were given. This was before there was even a, a parchment piece of paper that was written down within the instructions. This is Abraham having conversations with God and that's it. He had no further instruction, only what he heard God say. And yet he still says, God will provide his faith was so strong. His belief in God's power was so real that he could say, we have a Bible to look and say. Does this sound like something God would say? Let me check. Does this sound like something God would say? He didn't have that freedom and luxury that we have today. God will provide a sheep. Now, first, before we go on, Isaac was about 20 years old at this time. And since people lived to be 100, 200, 300 years old back in the day, they must have had really good vegetables and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, they lived a long time. So 20 was a young lad. So that's why they keep calling him a boy, even though he was strong enough to carry enough wood to make an altar on his shoulders. So we're not talking about a toddler or a 10-year-old or a teenager. And yet... Do you notice how Isaac is responding to his father like someone else when he was carrying the wooden cross? When he was obeying his father? <clears throat> Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, built an altar, arranged the wood. Then he tied his son Isaac. Another translation says he bound him hand and feet, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Do you remember what was said about Jesus when they spit on him? They accused him in the courts of all the things. The Bible says he uttered not one word. He didn't defend himself. He didn't try to make it okay. He didn't get, try to get people to like him. He entrusted himself to his father. And that's exactly what Isaac does. He entrusted himself to his father. Laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. We don't understand. We can't comprehend. We do know, looking from our vantage point, because of scripture, we, know, we do know that God never intended for Abraham to kill Isaac. God had always detested human sacrifice. So much so that when Israel as a nation 
started practicing this abominable thing and sacrificing children to pagan gods, our God was so upset about that that he allowed the whole nation to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians. So we know, we understand that God wasn't asking Abraham to kill his son, to murder his son. If that were the case, Abraham could have just stabbed Isaac in a tent. They wouldn't have had to go through all of this to get to where they were. God didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Abraham's heart. It was never about Isaac's life. It was always about what was in Abraham's heart toward God. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, yes, here I am. Amazing, amazing. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So as I was thinking about this, what I saw in my mind I saw Abraham and Isaac going up one side of Mount Moriah. On the other side, unbeknownst, unseen to Abraham, the ram was obeying God and going up the side of the mountain to be that sacrifice. God will always provide a way of escape for his children. He will always do it. Every single time, he will provide the sacrifice. He will be the one that puts himself in the place of danger. He will be the one that will do it. And so unbeknownst to Abraham, he really believed if God asked him to do this, he would obey. But God had already provided that ram. He had already made a provision for him. This is really the first time that the Bible mentions what we as Christians call substitutionary sacrifice, where one sacrifice is substituted for another. This is the first time in all of Scripture it's mentioned. And once again, it's looking forward. It's screaming the name of Jesus because that is what Jesus would be for us that ultimate, that final sacrifice where God said, there, does not, there is not another sacrifice that will be given for my sin. Crystal, your sin, if you don't accept the sacrifice that Jesus made, there's, not, there's nothing else to be done for your sin. So this is the first one. Jesus was the greater one, the final one. And this was beginning, and this is why I love hard stories like this, because this reminds me when everything seems so out of control, when I think, oh God, I don't think you saw this coming. This is an oops. You did not see this, God. God does see it. He has a plan that he is putting into place. I don't see it, but God sees it. And I need to trust 
that he will fulfill his promise to me, his promise to his children, his promise to this church, his promise for each of your families. We need to trust him. 2,000 years later, on that same mountain, that final sacrifice was made by Jesus. Jesus was laid on that wooden cross. So many of the things shadowed what was to be done. The angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Now remember from other sermons earlier in this series, God had already told Abraham certain things. And every time the angel comes and speaks to him, he adds something else to the vision. He adds another layer to it, another uh, further and further out. Now it's not just Abraham. Now it's not just Abraham's family. Now it's for you and I. This one includes me and includes you. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me, have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name. And why does he swear by his own name? Because there's nothing in heaven or on the earth or under the earth that is greater than the name of God. There's nothing. So he swears by his own name because that is the thing to do. That's all there is. I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Now Jesus, what, 2,000 plus years later, says this about Abraham. He says, and he was talking to the Pharisees because they were questioning his divinity. They were questioning what he said about himself. They didn't like it, and they were questioning him, and this is what he said. Your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What does that mean? That means when, when he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, God gave him an image, an impression, a, 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 an inkling of what it would cost the father when he doesn't stay his hand, when, when he is sacrificed for you and for me. It says that Abraham saw that sacrifice. He saw and he knew what it would cost the father. And he was glad. So thankful that God did it. Uh, would you stand with me, please? God gave Abraham a glimpse of what it cost him. What it would cost. And I asked my husband, Please just bring a couple pieces of wood in. And of course, he goes over and above, which is what I love about him. And there are some things that I need to put there. I had a little a list of things in a bag in the car. And I thought, oh, no, that's too hokey. But just pretend that I lay my money there. The sacrifice that God was asking Abraham to give was something that Abraham understood because the firstborn is what God says, that's mine. That belongs to me. I have given you life. The first fruits, the firstborn belong to me. So in the Old Testament, they were dedicated to serve God. He still wants my best. He still wants my first fruits. You know, it's easy, I, 
I hear people and sometimes their faith does not extend to their pocketbook. And I understand that, I do. There were many weeks we ate colorful meals that looked like vegetables with no meat. Lots of times. And it's easy to give God when we've paid all of our bills, when we you know, had our little date night and what's left over, oh God, I give this to you. This is yours. It, spend it all and want, do what you want with it. But God said, no, that doesn't require faith. What requires faith is you to give me the first portion. When you don't know if another portion is going to come. You don't know if another lamb is going to be born to your flock. You don't know if the fields are going to produce. You don't know if locusts are going to come and eat it. Giving me the first part shows faith. That you trust me. That I will take care of you. I will take care of your family. And that's what was happening with Isaac. That's what he wants to do in my heart. I know this is an Old Testament event, but it points to the New Testament. It points to the fact that God wants our heart. So I want you to close your eyes with me. We're gonna pray. But I want you to think about what thing needs to be on this altar in your life. It might be a circumstance. It might be a condition in your body. It might be a relationship. And I want you to see that situation shrinking. This isn't some kind of like new agey weirdo thing. But I want you to see that shrink because I want you to begin to magnify God, to make Him great, to make Him who He is in your mind so that you understand He will take care of you. He will provide for you. There's so many things that we want to keep from God because we think if we don't keep them, we'll never have anything better. Or our children, things that are important. But if we make them too important, it becomes a problem. Father, we lay on the altar this morning that one thing that you've shown us that says, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you with this relationship. I don't trust that if I give it to you, I'll get it back. I don't trust you with my finances. It sounds awful, but I don't. I don't know that you'll reward me if I diligently seek you. But Father, we, we do our best to lay those things on the altar this morning, to surrender our will, to you, not to another person, not to an event, but to your son who died for us. It's even weird to say we surrender because that's not something our culture is used to doing. We rebel against that thought. But Father, you've asked us to surrender to you, to allow you to be who you are and not some neat little God that we can keep in our pocket. Father, we magnify you. We enlarge who you are in our mind, in our heart. We allow you to be God and we will not be 
that relationship will not be God. That bank account will not be God. That illness will not be God because it's all we talk about, all we think about, all we meditate on. Father, we love you. We trust you. May you make our descendants strong to serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.